It's Bick and the Boss minus Bick and the Boss. Randeep Janda back in the 1 p.m. slot. I got to say, it feels good. It was a weird morning. Didn't have to uh, wait till 3 o'clock to get on air. And I'm joined by co-host for the week and today and for the rest of the week, Raja Shergill. What's going on, Raja? Hello, how are you? This is weird. So which one of us is the boss? Okay, you know the answer to that. It's, yeah, it's me. No, it, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, we work together. We are not at Hockey Night Pun- No, Randy. no, but an extension of that. I'm your boss there. Kind of. Slightly. Kind of, yeah. Maybe. A little bit. Barely. Here I am uh, also. So I, I will take the Craig McEwen role as the boss, and, and you're going to go with Bick. Hey, listen, Bick does a great job here, so I don't mind, but I've got to tell you... Hockey night is on Saturdays. This is Monday. Brand new week, brand new programming. I think I'm the boss. Okay, yeah. Uh, just keep on saying that. Yep. Hockey season just around the corner. Just remember that. It is Dandeep uh, uh, and Raja with you here. And we've got a lot in store today on the show. That's right. The People Show is not on this week. we got a lot of Blue Jays baseball for you to this week. So, therefore, I am working and the rest of the guys are off. Look at that, slackers. I know. But, You're not a man of taking vacations. You don't like taking uh, vacations. Mind you, I took a vacation a couple of weeks exactly, ago. So, yeah. you know, but they're they're lazy right now. Let's put it that way. We got a lot in store. We're going to talk hockey. We're going to talk NFL. Uh, we're going to be talking on on many fronts. There's some potential developing news here in the province of British Columbia regarding vaccinations as well. If anything happens on that front, the government's expected to make announcements uh, this afternoon. Any moment now, we'll keep you uh, in the loop on that, especially when it comes to the effect on sports and double vaccinations potentially taking place in Rogers Arena as a requirement. We've seen Calgary and the Calgary Flames come out with that requirement today. We saw the Blue Jays were saying double vaccinations or negative test results. So whatever the latest is in Vancouver, we'll keep you posted on that. Always feel free to join the conversation on the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber. And this hour of the show is sponsored by Avenue Machinery. Does your team need reliable construction equipment? Save thousands on Kubota excavators, skid steers, and loaders. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Good job. You got through it. It's the first time for the read. It's been a while. We're used to a couple couple other ones. But this is an interesting day, though, right? On the vaccination front, Raja, uh, we'll keep an eye on what's going on. We'll keep you posted on that front. But... When we start looking across North America and what's happening, you know, I mentioned the Blue Jays, but I, the Calgary Flames are another team. Then you have mm-hmm. the Las Vegas Raiders came out late last week with their, we kind of know where this headed. Yeah, right? and especially here in Vancouver, we kind of heard the rumblings last week, right? As soon as the the statement came out with the Canucks saying that they're going to be looking into all sort of possibilities, we knew that this is exactly where it's headed and we're going to find out fairly soon where it is. And it's it's good to see that other sports teams around North America, not only obviously here in Canada, but even in the United States, as you mentioned with the Raiders, they're starting to uh, go with the trend that that's the, the right way to go, I think, about go about ways as we you know, start jam-packing these stadiums with 20,000 people in them. And then obviously in the NFL, there's even up to, you know, 100,000 in some stadiums. Uh, but what's what's great about this, Randeep, is that it's so unrealistic to go and watch a sporting event where you have to always be masked up, masked up or you have to, you know, be 
a, a certain feet away from the person next to you. That it, It's just not fun. It's not fun like that. So for everybody to be vaccinated, to get into arenas and, and watch these sports games, how we are used to doing it and, and had, kind of have a, a sense of normalcy back, uh, you know, it's obviously the right decision to be made here by the Vancouver Canucks and, and every other sports team that's doing it as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens on the Canucks front. There's nothing official, but reports mm-hmm. from Irfan Gaffar hinting at that. Uh, yeah, it's headed in that direction. We've got uh, some reports coming out now that this is according to Richard Zussman at Global News. British Columbia will be requiring proof of vaccination for people attending certain social and recreational settings and events. As of September 13th, one dose of vaccine will be required for entry to uh, fitness centers, business offering, indoor high-intensity group workouts, and organized indoor events. What that means for sports teams, whether it's the Canucks, BC Lions, Whitecaps, go down that list. We'll keep you posted on that as soon as any of those teams or those in the BC Lions and Whitecaps case, the you know Pavco, which is the the corporation that operates BC Play Stadium, if they send out something they haven't yet, when they do, we'll let you know. We want to keep this uh, conversation going though on the Canucks though, because over the last week on the People Show, we've been talking about positional breakdowns where the Canucks land, where they are at as far as each you know forward group. Beyond that, defensemen, goaltenders. But the last time the Canucks made the playoffs in the bubble, they had career years from a number of players, Raja. We're talking about breakout players that year. JT Miller, 72 points. That was a step for him. Tanner Pearson, best season points-wise for him. Jake Furtanen at the time had 36 points. That was his best year. Adam Gaudet, 33 points. Josh Levo, even, who did not play that much, still had 19 points. An excellent year for him. So we're talking about five players that had career years. If the Canucks are taking a similar step, if they want to make some noise, if they want to go back to the playoffs, they will need at least a few breakouts. Who is your Canucks breakout candidate this season? Uh, Before I get your answer, I also want to urge people to text in 650-650. Come with your answer. Tell us why. Raja, who's your answer? Before we get into it, I think this year is a little bit different than that bubble playoff year that we had with the Canucks and the amount of breakouts attempts, I guess, that the Canucks could have made last that season, right? Because they had just acquired JT Miller, who everybody was talking about, played limited minutes in Tampa Bay, and now he, he's going to come to the Canucks, play in the top six, and all of a sudden explodes for 72 points, right? And what, what were the Canucks going to get out of Bo Horvat? He was still uh, at that age where we thought he can provide more offensively. Now the Canucks have had those guys kind of turn into what we know them as, as that's legitimate top six. So it's hard to really find somebody that I think is going to have that big of a breakout year, although there might be a couple. So I'm going to go with somebody at the bottom of the lineup. And and for me, that player is Tyler Mott. And he's not obviously going to have a breakout year in the sense that JT Miller did or anybody else in the top six had a couple of seasons ago. But what it means for Tyler Mott to have a breakout year is, is different than what it means for a JT Miller. And, but it probably could propel the Canucks in a, make them a more well-rounded group throughout the entire forward group. And and I think Tyler Mott has the potential, Randeep, to get into that 30 to 35 point mark next year. And and that really gives the Vancouver Canucks scoring throughout their entire lineup. And listen, by adding Jason Dickinson, we, we know that they have more offensive hopes for a guy like Bo Horvat. What does it mean for him? Uh, what does it mean for that entire top six? 
it's a well-rounded forward group throughout the entire lineup. I know you guys talked about it as well on the People's Show where this forward group ranks. But for me, Tyler Mott gives the Vancouver Canucks and his offensive potential gives the Vancouver Canucks a, a good opportunity to really provide scoring throughout the lineup. But the biggest thing for him is going to be where he plays on this Canucks lineup. Is it going to be with Brandon Sutter and Zach McEwen or, or Matthew Highmore, whoever else you're pegging on that fourth line? Or is there a potential for him to be playing alongside Jason Dickinson and Tanner Pearson or, or Niels Holglan? on that third line where there is obviously a little bit more offensive production uh, potential. So I, I do think wherever he plays, he's going to have that ability to get to that 30-point mark. He was on pace for that last year. He had nine points in 24 games, so he was already trending towards that. I, I do think in a more regular more regular minutes, and last year, remember, he was going through the injury as well. I, I think he's got that opportunity to really get to that 35-point mark and, and really make his, his mark in this Canucks lineup as a regular player that can not only kill penalties and be a defensive force, but also chip it a little offensively as well. Okay, so for Tyler Mott, he does have his limitations in the sense that we've seen him make cameos in the top six. He's got the high energy, but the skill maybe is not a top six skill. So when we're talking about what's his place in the lineup, the third line makes sense. Yeah. The third line is where Jim Benning has mentioned the third line is going to be a scoring line, but you do need an abrasive element. You need a disruptor. You need a spark plug type of player. The Canucks have them in Niels Hoaglander. Pod Colson should trend in that type of player as well. Yeah. You've got Tyler Mott. Now you have Connor Garland as well, who all profile that same way. So I agree with you. I think... Tyler Mott has it in his game to maybe become a 30-point player. Is he the guy that I'm going with? Not necessarily, but does he have it? Sure. Here's the problem with Tyler Mott, though. In theory, I love love the pick because I love the way he plays. The biggest knock on Tyler Mott the last couple of years has been, can he stay healthy? Yeah. And for a player to have a breakout, for a player to hit 30 points, he's got to do that. And that's the biggest knock on him. He plays so tough. He plays so hard. They're so reliant on him in the last couple of years. They'll be less reliant on him now. But now, all of a sudden, you know, just stay healthy. You're going to play those meaningful minutes on the third line. There's going to be an opportunity, Raja, but will he be able to commit to that and, and play a game? He does play tough, and that requires, you know, sometimes getting knocks as well, and he's had those the last couple of years. And, and you know what? If you had asked me this question last year, the player I might have picked still might have been Tyler Mott. Because all of the things that I just said about him this year, I felt that same way about him last season. But he got that injury in training camp, and that really derailed and, and slowed down the start of his season. And I, and to your point, he only played in 24 games last year. So for him to build on that great, tremendous postseason that he had in the bubble that we saw him just completely uh, school Alex Petrangelo and, and score a, a beautiful goal on the Canucks shorthanded, I think that was. It, it was great, and you saw that sort of confidence in him grow. And for a player like Mott, I think a lot of it has to do on that confidence. Not only is he going to be a regular in your lineup if he is healthy, and, and that's a big if to your point, but if he is healthy, that confidence, I think the last couple of years has already blossomed to the point where he knows that he has a, a ability to score, but also kill penalties to the extent that he's already is able to do. He knows that he's one of the best players on this team at doing those kinds of things. So for him, it's just adding a little bit more. And, and to me, again, Randy, it comes down to who he plays with. It's going to be tough getting those points with Brandon Sutter. It's yeah. going to be tough getting him with, with a Matthew Hyam or a Zach McEwen. You're obviously playing more in your defensive zone. And and the the role in that in that job is to, to really stop the puck. But again, I think the speed element that he brings to this lineup really helps him... Uh, in creating some offense too and getting some offensive opportunities. 
I do find that looking back at Jay Beagle and his pairing on that fourth line, there's a lot of nights that he made Jay Beagle look good, right? Just adding speed to the lineup. Who is that player this year? Dickinson would be intriguing, but now all of a sudden, the Canucks do have a logjam of players that could play on the third line. So all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have a lot of players. Lines will be in a blender this year. Travis Green has options. In the bottom six, though, right. you know, I would like to see Tyler Mott in that third line role. And then, you know you can put him on the fourth line if need be, but does that speed, does that abrasiveness have more points to give? You say 30, 35 points. Okay, my my choice and we're getting a lot of these uh, answers on the text line, 650-650, is the new addition. It's Connor Garland. This is a player that's had 39 points a couple of times in his career, last year included, in a full season, that projects out to 65 points. And you could argue maybe that was his breakout year, but he still hasn't hit anything above 40 in his career. In Arizona, there was always going to be a ceiling on how many points you score. They don't play a style where they're, it's all that exciting, first of all. They don't necessarily ooze offense. In Vancouver, with the level of player that Connor Garland is going to be playing with, likely a Bo Horvat, but you never know. There's a chance he could play on the first line for all we know. I think this guy is ready to have a huge year. And I'm looking in that 60 to 65 points over 82 games. He's an abrasive player. And what I love about his game is that he's going to take a beating in front of the net. He's going to dish out a beating in front of the net. He's going to do the same in the corners. He's a much more skilled Tyler Mott, essentially. Right. Undersized, brings that speed, and there's more points to give. Many more points for him to give where he's going to play on this team. You also throw in some potential power play minutes, especially you know in a power play too if he's playing net front, which I think he'd be really good at if you need him there. If there's injuries, you can move him you know, maybe even to power play one at some point if you're looking to mix mm-hmm. it up, depending on what happens with the rest of the group. To me, Connor Garland's the breakout player because I know he's kind of hinted at going to that level in the previous years. But in Arizona, A, you don't get much pub, mm-hmm. and B, you don't get many points. I think in Vancouver, with the way that this team is profiling, all offense by the looks of it right now, right. I think he's ready for that moment. I think anybody that puts up 39 points in 49 games in an ultra-defensive system in Arizona obviously has that breakout caliber in him, breakout uh, potential in him. And, you know, the way that everybody has described him, we had Michael Grabner on this station not too long ago, his former teammate and obviously a former member of the Canucks. And and what Grabner described him as is a guy that is going to be able to find anybody at any given moment, whether the puck is on the boards and he is, you know, battling for a loose puck uh, uh, with the defenseman, he's going to be able to get that puck away from him and and dish it off to the blue line or whoever it might be and, and be able to create points and create offense that way. So I do think Connor Garland... Does have that breakout potential. The other guy that kind of feeds into this same conversation with Garland is Bo Horvat. And and also another person on that same line is probably a Niels Hoglander who plays a similar style of Connor Garland where they are able to, uh, you know, win those tough matchups. They're, sort of, they're undersized players, Hoglander and Garland, but they play big and they play physical and they're able to create offense. And we saw that with Hoglander as well. So not only is Garland a, a, right, a great choice, Randy, but also... The fact that it's not only Garland, it's two other players that are probably going to be on his left side with Bo Horvat up the middle and Nils Hoglander on that left wing. Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see what that line is because yeah. I'm with you. I think I like the profile of that line, but knowing the You're way right. that Travis Green, you know, generally likes to have his lineup, he likes a little size on them too. So do you spread it out? Do you actually you know, split them up or do you start that way? Either way, he's got options. You mentioned Bo Horvat there. 
Connor Garland to me is going to be a, a really intriguing figure because, you know, we got a lot of text rolling in as well. We got Babu coming in saying Garland. We got another one coming in saying Garland, more minutes, better talent surrounding him. He's going to get power play one time as well. We'll see about that. The Canucks actually have a lot of options on that now. So who do you take out of that first power play unit if you're putting Garland in? That's a bit of a challenging issue. We got Rager coming in with Connor Garland all day, every day. His career high is 39 points. He's a 50-point player in our top six, guaranteed. So that next level is there. Now that he is alongside Bo Horvat, most likely, Bo Horvat will have a consistent top six winger, NHL-level top six winger. And that's not a slight to Tanner Pearson, but we know he's kind of that bubble guy. He's a second, third-line player. Mm -hmm. What does this mean for Bo Horvat? Bo's career high is 61 points. Are we looking at a additional breakout year because if 61 points was his original breakout does he have another gear to go does he have another level he can hit with legit second line players and not only did he have 61 points he had 27 goals right so can this guy be a 30 goal scorer for the Vancouver Canucks and now all of a sudden Randy you're not looking at just you know you mentioned it three four years uh, sorry a couple of years ago in that bubble season where the Canucks had four 20 goal scorers we might be looking at a year where the Canucks have three or four 30-goal scorers with JT Miller, Brock Besser, Elias Patterson, and now maybe even Bo Horvat, and you could even throw Connor Garland into that mix. Now, is that going to happen? Odds are, probably not. That's a little tough. Um, but that being said, does Bo Horvat have that next gear in him? I think when you look at the addition of a Jason Dickinson and what that's going to mean for a Bo Horvat, taking away those tough matchups and giving him more chances to play in the offensive zone, and we've seen the kind of player Horvat is too. He's a bull. He is able to get the puck out of his own zone and, and distribute it, not necessarily a playmaker, but able to get it out of his zone and distribute it to his wings and then start that breakout for the Canucks. I, I do think that he's got that ability in him to surpass that 61 point mark that he's been at before and get to that 70 point plateau that being said it, it depends a lot on how that chemistry with a player like Connor Garland works out and you're right how is that power play how are the minutes going to be managed on that power play he was very successful in that bumper slot as well he looked like he was at home there so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Bohor that I, I do think that he's got that ability but it, it also kind of and I don't know if this is me being a little negative or not, but it, it also seems like it's wishful thinking because that would mean everything is going the Vancouver Canucks way. And it also means that you have some injury luck on your side. Of course. And okay, you know, the, the rose-colored glasses would imply that a number of players have careers. We know what happened last year, right? If linear, you know, if, uh, you know, progression was linear, then we'd basically look at... Uh, Last year being a, you know, if JT Miller would have more points and Elias Pedersen would have, that didn't happen last but year. But you know what though, that progression and that development is linear has been true for a player like Bo Horvat. Every single year he has gotten better. And the only year that he's actually regressed in points uh, has been on years where he's been injured and has been on the COVID shortened year. And both those seasons, he was on pace to surpass his points and not on pace by, you know, he was off by like 30 games or something like that. Like he was right there. He was going to surpass his totals, no questions asked, and and that's what makes me a little bit more a uh, little bit more believe in Bo Horvat because he has shown that he does have that ability to do it if he plays a full eighty two. Okay, what's the biggest knock on Bo Horvat's game? I think it's his defensive zone. Exactly, Jason Dickinson all of a sudden added to the mix, and I've had the chance to talk to him twice now mm -hmm. on the People Show. And the first time we talked to him, he said whenever he sees an Austin Matthews or a Connor McDavid, and he's matched up. He loves that matchup. Right. That's what he relishes. 
That should be music to the ears of Elias Pettersson. That should be music to the ears of a Bo Horvat. Because all of a sudden, you don't have to worry as much. Does that mean you're not going to have to play against a Dreisaitl or one of those guys I mentioned? No, you'll probably match up against them. Somebody's got to play them. Right. Especially for the teams that have two of those guys. But just having a player that relishes that type of role is going to free up somebody. And Bo Horvat, yes, the biggest knock on his game, even though he's been working hard, he's been trying hard, is still, defensively, he's not quite there. You know, when we, a couple of years ago, I mentioned Ryan O'Reilly light. That would be the hope that you'd want to go for. And offensively, Bo Horvat's a damn good player. But defensively, he's not in the Ryan O'Reilly conversation, even that Ryan O'Reilly light combo. Now, all of a sudden, you get him support. What does that mean from a point production? I think you're looking at a player that should be able to get, you know, if we're talking about Connor Garland hitting 60 points, Bo Horvat should be able to get you 65 he yeah. should be able to get you closer to 70 in a little bit more of a freed role in ideal circumstances without injuries. Hit us up on the text line 650-650 with your breakout candidates for the Canucks. Raja coming in with Tyler Mott. Thinks he's got more offense to give. I'm coming with Connor Garland. We had a discussion on Bo Horvat as well. But we do have some developing news on the vaccination front. BC's Premier, just a few minutes ago, announced that there will be a BC vaccine card to be phased in by October 24th. It will apply to non-discretionary activities like concerts, movies, and yes, sporting events as well. And the timeline for this is interesting, folks. October 24th. What is the day for the Vancouver Canucks first home game? Remember, they're on the road before they come home. It's October 26th. So this matches up perfectly well. The Canucks have not announced anything as of right now. But if you look at the dates, it does strongly hint at something. It strongly hints at probably have a double vaccination vaccine card uh, rolled out by then. Uh, you would imagine the Canucks are a part of it. The Canucks will be a part of it. It seems like the Whitecaps will probably, and, and also the BC Lions. And and even if, uh, you know, obviously everybody listening here is a sports fan, but if, if, you know, you're not or whatever, that still means that concerts and anything like that to attend BC Place, to attend Rogers Arena, to attend where there's going to be thousands of people, you're going to be able to do it with normalcy if you do have the double vaccination. So in my eyes, Randy, it's obviously a great thing. Yeah, that first game would be against the Minnesota Wild, October 26th at home. That's the first home game. So remember, that's right after the match against Seattle across the uh, down the I-5. So something to watch there. No official word from the Canucks yet, but the Premier of BC did come out and say there would be phasing in of a vaccine card by October 24th, two days before the Canucks' first home game. Um, there's no easy transition when we're doing this folks, but it was a tough weekend in the hockey world. Uh, you heard at the top of the hour, Jimmy Hayes passed away today, uh, locally here as well. Some very tragic news, three young hockey players and young men, Caleb Reimer, Ronan Sharma and Parker Magnuson lost their lives in an accident over the weekend. It is such sad and heartbreaking time for the local hockey community. Our hearts go to the family and the friends of Caleb Parker and Ronan. A GoFundMe page has been created for the families of Ronan Sharma, Caleb Reimer, and Parker Magnuson, which can be found at at Langley Riverman on Twitter. You can follow the link there. And uh, just, you know, during this difficult time, as a community, you know, try to come together and help these families and friends of these boys. And, and that's, if you can, please donate. It is Sportsnet 650. Randeep Janda and Raja Shergill will chat Week two of NFL preseason with Monday morning quarterbacks Gary Gramling next on Bick and the Boss minus Bick and the Boss. And we're gonna we're gonna bring some entertainment to the airwaves. It's the Hockey Night Punjabi Connection. 
Yep. I'm the host, Raja. You are the genius behind the scenes. So technically the boss. No. No, more like the intern. <laughs> you interns know, are great. I, I I'm not wa- I'm not downplaying interns right I now, wanna, but you are more like that. I do want to say this though. When I got when I first got hired and, and I want to put Tell emphasis, the story, Roger. I want to put emphasis on the word hired at Hockey Night Punjabi. Tell the story. There was like more than one people person that worked in the building that thought I was still the intern. I said, No, I'm getting money. I'm getting paid to be here. Okay. Enlighten the crew, everybody that's listening right now. The first time I ever met you. What was the first thing I ever said so to you? So first time Randeep ever met me, and by the way, this was fresh off him being hired right here on Sports at 650. Yeah, my ego was through the yeah, roof. His, his face was everywhere on Twitter, uh, and I'm in the building for the first time, and uh, he says, who the hell is this guy? Hello came after. <laughs> yeah, after. But over time, I, I'm a um, nice guy, right? Can you confirm that? Debatable. All oh, right, fine, fair enough. It is Bick and the Boss minus Bick and the Boss, Randeep Janda, Raja Shergill, and uh, Raja has forgiven me for that first time introduction, I think, where I asked who the hell he was. Um, do you watch any football this past weekend? I did. All right. My Los Angeles Chargers were in action. Didn't look very good. Okay. Well, well it doesn't really matter. Yeah. That's, in the preseason, it's about usage. It's about, yep. you know, yeah, with rookies, you want to see how they can adapt to pressure, but they're all playing third or fourth stringers. It doesn't really necessarily matter in the score. Well, in the first, you know, first quarter there, they uh, were able to shut down Trey Lance. Maybe not necessarily them. He just didn't really look very good. Uh, but then he did pick it up in the second uh, half of, of how whenever he played or however long he played for. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that's going to be an interesting conversation to have with Gary Grambling is going to join us in a couple of minutes where how does that quarterback situation play out for the San Francisco 49ers? Is it going to be uh, Jimmy G back under center or what are we going to... S- or what are we going to be? What are, what's going to happen there in San Fran? Yeah, Jimmy G gets you up to a point. There's a ceiling there, right? Mm-hmm. And do you stick with that guy, or do you try to switch it up in a new direction? Maybe a higher ceiling, but there's going to be some growing pains as well. We got uh, Gary Gramling, SI.com Monday Morning Quarterback, joining us right now. Gary, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well. We were actually talking about the Niners' quarterback situation because Trey Lance, of course, you know, young quarterback, uh, but then you have the veteran in Jimmy G. The way, you know, where this team is at right now, because they're in the win-now mode, can they afford to go with a, a, a question mark and a young quarterback? Or is Jimmy G shown, you know, what his ceiling is, and, and do they need to switch it up? Well, look, that's how they're kind of treating it, that uh, they're taking baby steps with Trey Lance. And I think it's less about Lance being uh, able to handle the concepts and stuff like that. I think it's just the leap to the speed of the NFL at this point. Uh, I mean, look, those, those guys in North Dakota State, they coach their guys like pro quarterbacks. And that's why, uh, you know, that's why you saw Carson Wentz a couple years ago under center week one uh, on the road for the Eagles there. So we'll see how it goes here. You know, you guys kind of touched on it. The one thing you get with Trey Lance, you go get with Jimmy Garoppolo is you put incredible stress on a defense uh, both vertically and horizontally in the passing game, not to mention you have an 11th guy in the run game. Uh, If Trey Lance pans out, and I think he will, uh, I mean, Kyle Shanahan's options are are just nearly infinite with what he can design for this offense. Well, we talked about Trey Lance a lot over the last couple of weeks and, and what that means for the San Francisco 49ers. We know when a rookie quarterback comes in under center, it might take a little bit longer for them to get used to the speed of the National Football League. For a team like the 49ers, who, who are obviously Super Bowl contenders, could they afford to to start off with Trey Lance and, and perhaps have him uh, not be up to speed at the NFL level? Or, or is it worth it for them to go with Jimmy G, and even though he's, they know exactly what he can offer? 
Well, I'll say this. They're at a point where they don't have to rush Trey Lance. You know, Trey Lance is going to be the guy, obviously, and he's going to be the guy at some point in 2021. Uh, it, it, but, you know, it, it, this isn't like, uh, uh, you know, the Jets have to get Zach Wilson under center. Uh, you know, they, they have an option in Jimmy G. I mean, whatever you think of Jimmy G, I think he's a he's above the base or above the above the threshold to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. You've seen him run a variety of different offenses uh, between New England and San Francisco. And he's done so at a uh, a reasonably <laughs> done reasonably well in those roles, and uh, they've been to a they've been to a Super Bowl with him. So there's no reason for them to rush into Trey Lance if they think he's not ready. And they, you know, I I think you have seen the first two weeks uh, of the preseason from Trey Lance. I think he does look just a little bit overwhelmed, and it might be simply a matter of he's played one game in the last two seasons and and, and all that, and, uh, you know, getting out there is is quite a, uh, there's a shock to it, but uh, you know they can take it. They can take it nice and easy with him at this point. Yeah, and they are playing in the toughest division in football as well, which also is going to be that much more difficult for a rookie quarterback. So you know, do you go with the the steady hand? I, I would assume so. In that division, though, there's a new entrant, Matthew Stafford, who the last couple of years hasn't really had to deal with too much pressure, based on the fact that there was not much expected from the Lions. Let's be honest. Now all of a sudden, he goes to the Rams. They are Super Bowl contenders. There is expectation. How much pressure is on Stafford this year? Uh, look, it's it's a lot of pressure on Stafford. It's a lot of pressure on McVay. I don't think that's something that they are incapable of handling. Most certainly, uh, you know, similar to to you know what, what I was just talking about with Trey Lance. Uh, for so many years, you saw Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan with game managing quarterbacks, system quarterbacks, and we kind of said, "Boy, the nice thing about having Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay as your coach is you don't need a big time quarterback. Just a system quarterback will do." Now you. You have these teams basically rolling the dice on. Uh, it, it's obviously much less of a dice roll on Matthew Stafford. We we know what he is, uh, but you're seeing uh, it's just going to be able to expand the offense in ways that they couldn't do with Jared Goff under center. And and frankly, that's one thing you do worry about a little bit if you have a limited quarterback is when it gets to uh, December and January and you sort of run out uh, of tricks in your bag. There, do you have enough to get through the postseason? And you know. We've seen the Rams get to the Super Bowl, and we saw Jared Goff uh, really just was not capable of, uh, of of carrying them to the victory there. Gary, uh, I want to stay in the NFC, and Justin Fields is obviously the guy of the future in Chicago, but Matt Nagy's uh, slow-cook approach with him, is that the correct way to handle that situation? The tricky thing is this, and I would have said, looking at all these uh, all these first round quarterbacks, I thought Justin Fields was the. Uh, I don't think any of them are major projects, but I thought Justin Fields was probably furthest away, just because what he's going to be asked to do in the NFL was so much different than what he was asked to do at Ohio State. Uh, look, this is this is what I worry about if I'm Matt Nagy. Uh, you have a, a really good team that has just sort of been subjected to some really bad quarterback play uh, since you got there. And those guys in the locker room know what Justin Fields can do. They've also seen what Andy Dalton can do over the course of his career. I don't think Andy Dalton's a very good fit uh, on a team that has just no semblance of, a, of an offensive line here. So it's probably not going to go well, and I'm not sure you can keep the locker room if you're going to say we're running Andy Dalton out there and we're going to keep this guy uh, on ice for a little bit because no one in the locker room cares about uh, what's going to make Justin Fields great in 2024. They want to win games right now, and this team has been waiting to win games for a long time. They just haven't had the quarterback. 
You're listening to Sportsnet 650. We're joined by Gary Gramlings, SI.com, and Monday Morning Quarterback. And Gary, you know, those are a couple of quarterback situations in San Francisco and Chicago where you have a rookie and a veteran. In New Orleans, you have two veterans, and they're both competing for the job. You know, that offense in the last couple of years, pretty conservative based on the fact that Drew Brees simply didn't have the arm strength anymore, so therefore they had to go underneath a lot. Now all of a sudden, who do you think would be the better fit for that offense? Would it be Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill? Look, I, I think skills-wise, I think Jameis Winston, I mean, Jameis Winston really does have all the pieces. He's not terribly mobile, but, uh, you know, he, he has the kind of uh, arm talent that, that you want to sort of stretch an opposing defense. Uh, my issue with Jameis Winston, I don't think his turnover issues will ever go away. It's just his turnovers are so unique. His interceptions, he just he seems to completely lose track of guys at the second, lab, at, at the second level, and it's been the same thing. You can go back to Florida State and see these mistakes and they just keep on happening again and again he even he uh played essentially a half of football in relief of drew Brees last year against the 49ers through like nine passes and and another one of those it, it was a dropped interception but it was the same mistake he's been making for years and years uh i think they end up giving him the first crack i'm look i wouldn't mind going with Taysom hill if i were sean payton here i think you can do some creative stuff in the run game but uh i think the the way they would like to do it is you have Jameis and then you have Taysom Taysom Hill sprinkling in again, and you also have Taysom as sort of a uh, a gadget type weapon who can be on this uh, on the field at the same time as uh, as Jameis. Gary, we saw how the Dak Prescott injury for the Cowboys last year was so impactful to their season, and now we're still hearing that he might not be back at 100%. How concerned should the Dallas Cowboys and their fan base be uh, about Dak Prescott and his injury status? Uh, it's not great, but I, you know, I'd put it this way: uh, by week eight, basically every quarterback is going to be banged up and not 100 percent, and that's the way it's going to go uh, for the rest of the year. I mean, Tom Brady basically played through a, a banged up knee for most of last season, and we always hear, uh, you know, every February and March, all the guys who played through uh, injury X as the year went on. So, not great to enter the season like that. You like to feel like you're a like you're a new man on week one, and maybe Dak won't quite feel that, but. Uh, I think he'll ultimately be fine, maybe not at the same level he was last time we saw him. Uh, but really, I mean, that Cowboys team is going to come down to what they do defensively and, and whether Dan Quinn, uh, the new, new defensive coordinator there, is going to be the guy to sort of figure out how to make all those pieces work after just a year and a half of pretty bad football defensively. All right, Gary, I think we've talked about this before, though. I'm a long-suffering Miami Dolphins fan, and uh, <laughs> there's some hope. There's some renewed optimism, but... If the Dolphins want to compete for the AFC East or a wild card spot, how much of that is going to rely on Tua adding a little bit more risk to his game? You know, last year super conservative. That's why you know they they wanted to design it that way. Now he's got some toys to play with. He's got Will Fuller. He's got Jalen Waddle. Uh, is he ready for more risk? Yeah, you know, he's uh, and I don't try and draw any big conclusions from the preseason, but uh, I have kept a close eye on him, and he's looked better. Uh, again, it's preseason. We, we, you know, those of us who are old enough to remember the 90s, remember when uh, Ryan Leaf outperformed Peyton Manning in the preseason, and it doesn't really matter when it's all said and done, but uh, he's looked more comfortable. He's been playing in rhythm, uh, along with the fact that he just wasn't enough of a risk taker last year. I thought he was really frantic in the pocket, which is very worrisome for uh, for an undersized quarterback. You need need to be able to, you know, Drew Brees is probably the best who ever did it out of undersized quarterbacks. You need to be able to sort of, uh, you know, master those subtle movements and find those throwing lanes and stuff like that. And Tua just wasn't even close to uh, playing at that level a year ago. So, you know, it's a new offense for him. Uh, they certainly upgraded the weapons, and we'll see. I, I uh, 
I, 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 you can be cautiously optimistic. Let's put it that way. I'm, I'm not gonna. I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to say anything too negative about Tua. But uh, yeah, I, you know, they they pass. They passed on a lot of guys with a lot of physical traits that would have looked really good in that Miami offense right now. Well, Gary, the the AFC is something that I'm very uh, intrigued by. It's going to be a tough division to or a tough conference to to make the playoffs in, especially the AFC South. How do you see that division playing out with with the Tennessee Titans and the uh, Indianapolis Colts probably going to be contending for that uh, title? So it looks like it's probably going to be all systems go for Carson Wentz. It'll look like he was moving around on his foot pretty well. So you figure he'll probably be ready for week one. I think that Colts team is a complete team. Uh, I do think you will see maybe not MVP level Carson Wentz, but I think he'll certainly get back to a level where, uh, you know, I mean, he was – he was pretty good in 2019, and no one really noticed because they just had all these injuries on offense, and uh, he didn't quite have the supporting cast. But I think the Colts are built to be uh, sort of on that second level with Buffalo, maybe Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, whoever you like in the AFC North, uh, those types of teams there. Uh, Tennessee is a big question mark for me just because I don't know what they're going to have defensively when it's all said and done. So many moving parts there, and they weren't very good a year ago. And, uh, look, I think the Jaguars should be aiming for the, uh, for the postseason here. I, I think when you add Trevor, Le- Trevor Lawrence, who is a uh, – almost call him Trevor Lance uh, – Trevor Lawrence, who is a, a bona fide, just transcendent talent, I, I think they should be uh, aimed to have the kind of season that uh, the Colts had back in the day with Andrew Luck when, when he was a rookie. Well, we're not that far away now. Just a, a few more weeks. I had my first fantasy draft yesterday as well, Gary. So things are becoming real. Nice. Uh, I nice. appreciate you uh, joining us today, and I know we'll chat soon again. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. There he is, Gary Gramling of SI.com, Monday morning quarterback here on Bick, on, Bick and the Boss. This hour of the show is sponsored by Avenue Machinery. Does your team need reliable construction equipment? Save thousands on Kubota excavators, skid steers, and loaders. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And so many intriguing situations. But I look at that New Orleans situation where they've got their multi-million dollar man in Taysom Hill. Got paid really well. But I still don't understand what he's going to do in New Orleans. I love Jameis. And Jameis Winston <laughs> is like a bad reality show where there's so much good. <laughs> And then there's so much bad at the same there's time. There's never a dull moment when Jameis Winston is on the field. Never. It's either going to go straight into the hands of the other team or it's going to the end zone. And Jameis Winston is the temptation <laughs> island of football quarterbacks. <laughs> J- yeah. Right? Like there's drama. 100%. Like there's good stuff and then there's some really bad stuff. I, 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 I'm not a fan of the Saints, but I, I, do love, I, I do think Jameis Winston might be my favorite quarterback, not named Justin Herbert. Just because I, I just love watching the drama unfold around him. And last year, I was a little sad that he wasn't uh, playing a whole lot. I did win, by the way, uh, a quick flex here. I did win the Sports 650 Fantasy Football League. And uh, who was my quarterback? It was none other than Jameis Winston. Sorry, you won with Jameis Winston? I did, yeah. That's unbelievable. So, obviously, you can you, tell why you I have You ruined a... our football league because I don't <laughs> even know if we're doing another one. So, I have such a soft spot in my heart because of Jameis Winston. Okay, so you're a big Jameis stan. I uh, never thought I'd hear that, but... Apparently, Raja loves drama. He won me money. What can I say? Fair enough. Okay, so I mentioned it there with Gary. Like, you know, first fantasy draft of the year. Took five hours for me. Five. Yeah, this is the the famous... This is the famous basement football league, which is a East Van legend, really. It's going back to 2009. A lot of me and my friends. But every year, I'm reminded of why certain pet peeves around fantasy football draft time. These are some of my closest friends. But there's certain things that they do, and I'm sure I do them as well, 
but they don't have a radio show. So I'm going <laughs> to talk about mine. There's one, not, okay, the worst one though, the worst pet peeve is drunk, unorganized guy that takes forever to pick. I'm not going to name any names here, Joel, <laughs> but somebody who walks in with Go no ahead. papers, no highlighters, no computer, going off the top of his mind and r- makes picks that have been made like four rounds earlier. Do you have the stickers where you go put the stickers? Yes, we got the full thing. So, so this guy so they're is up looking there. for stickers. He's looking for the name, but he can't find the stickers. He doesn't even have to do that. <laughs> There's a commissioner taking, like the commissioner's doing that. Oh. All, like this guy's just like drunk dude, just, just <laughs> going off the top of his mind of, has so-and-so been picked? Yeah. Has so-and-so been picked? And it's just like, come on, man. That's annoying. That Like that's the biggest pet peeve I have. How about you? Honestly, you know, you mentioned the fact that it took you five hours. I kind of enjoy that. I I, enjoy, I don't mind that. I enjoy the longevity of it. I would say my pet peeve would probably have to be the guy who is never there for his pick. He's always just talking to somebody on the side, or he's maybe he's gone to the washroom because he's out. He's had too many pops, and now he can't contain himself. So he's always, whenever it's time to make the pick, he's never there. So you always got to wait an extra five or ten minutes for this guy to come back and, and make the selection. That's probably my pet peeve. Okay, so the guy that physically is not there. In yeah. COVID times... And you know what, actually, yeah. Like COVID times, if you're doing it from home, we had actually a friend of ours on, on Zoom. That's cool. Yeah. Very no, quick. Made his fix. But if, you're, if it's non-COVID times, and especially if you are physically there, you're just not in the room or you're not in the vicinity to make your selection, that's annoying because, hey, look, Randeep's on the clock and, and where's, like, everybody's looking, where's, where's Randeep? Yeah, when no, I'm always there. Yeah. I'm always on time. Like right now, I'm at work while the rest of the guys are vacationing. I, I'm putting a good shift for the boss right now, right? And uh, I, I know he's... The boss I, just walks uh, into exactly, the room. That's exactly what I'm saying. That, yeah. C-Mac is around. Uh, <laughs> it is Bick and the Boss minus Bick and the Boss, Randeep Janda, Raja Shergill. We're going to get the uh, conversation going again as well. Breakout candidates for the Canucks next season, this upcoming season. And, you know, we had a lot of folks coming in with Connor Garland, of course. Raja, you came in with Tyler Mott. Yep. We had Blake come in with Hoaglander with the breakout. If he can start hitting the net more, he's ready for a breakout. Okay, that was the biggest knock on him last year, right? right? Yeah. He got into the right spots. He was so tenacious. He was aggressive on the forecheck. He was smart. He knew where to be. Just couldn't hit the net. And when he did, his shot was a total muffin. So even though you know he made some real progress last year, and trust me, I took the L on Niels Hoaglander. I didn't think he would start the year in the top six. And what happened? I ended up having to do the one chip challenge because he did. So I like I I felt the burn because of Niels Hoaglander, Quite but literally. he is a definite candidate where no. he pots a few more goals. All of a sudden, we're talking about a, a player that can take that next step. I agree because when you watch him play and you see him just completely miss the net or just have a very soft shot, it's it's kind of annoying to see almost because you see the potential and what that shot when it hits the target could actually do. But also. My argument to that would be that's not necessarily his game. He's not going to come down the wing and just snipe it. And although if he could, that would be an extra dimension to his game. But the way that he plays is kind of that get to the front of the net, get those dirty goals in, win battles along the boards. I've never seen him along the boards and not be able to come out with it in those tight areas with the puck. He always seems to have that puck and make a play from it. So yeah, sure, obviously if you get the shots on net and you have more opportunity to score. Uh, But that being said, his game really thrives from the fact that he 
just crashes the net and gets in those rebounds and those dirty goals, gets to the areas where a lot of people don't like going and, and you know, creates offense that way. So I get it. But also, I think that more he develops, the more you're going to see the kind of player that he truly is, which is that tenacious, nasty kind of smaller player who's not afraid of anything and just get to the front of the net, get to those good areas and, and get tap-ins almost as goals. It's easy to be optimistic about this team right now based on the fact that we saw them play pretty poorly last year, right? No, and that's real talk. They were the worst Canadian team in the North Division last year. Even Ottawa had more points. That's a rough look. There's been a lot of turnover, a lot of change, and the best change I like in the forward group, they've added skill. But there's also a mindset, you know, change in that forward group where you mentioned Hoaglander. He had it last year. He had that tenacity. Tyler Mott, when he's healthy, he brings that too. Now you parry Connor Garland, who plays a similar role. Vasily Podkolzin, from everything we've seen, from everything we've heard coming out of Russia, his game translates more to the NHL than it did to the KHL. He's going to hound the puck. He's going to be sound defensively. Another player that profiles that way, that abrasive style. That style of player that folks played, paid a lot for in free agency. But if you can graduate those players within your own roster. And Connor Garland's making good money. Don't get me wrong. They had to pay for it. But you've got two, three other players within the lineup that you don't have to pay too much that can also play a similar style. That's important. With Hoaglander, though, he does give you something that maybe a couple of those players, at least Tyler Mott, there's an offensive upside there. Right. And he's got the smarts and the skill, but can he make it translate a little bit more? And that's definitely a a breakout player to watch because, yes, you know, last year he was a rookie. And there's certain ceiling, you know, getting used to the the league, the SHL to the NHL. And even though he played amazing, there's still that, okay, steep learning curve. But all of a sudden now, then you, now you can start thinking about, okay, the sophomore season, if he can improve a little thing here and there, there is a, a, you know, a way for him to hit that next level. And a lot of the conversations, Randy, that we're having when it comes to breaking out to that next tier of player has been revolving around offense. Can it be more goals? Can it be more points? whatever have you. But we haven't really talked about it from a defensive point of view. And Vasily Pot, sorry, uh, Nils Hoglander, could he also up his game in his own zone where he's able to, uh, you know, where he's able to become a better all-around player as well. And we've kind of talked off-air about Jack Rathbone as well. Could he up his game where he is able to not only do well in his own zone, but also contribute a little bit more offensively? So as much as there are conversations to be had from an offensive outlook, from the defensive point of view, there is some as well. We've got a, a number of other texts coming in, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up with your breakout candidates for the Canucks. And we're going to zoom out a little bit as well. Who are some of those across the NHL? Because there are some players that maybe slumped the last couple of years or they're ready to break out and hit that next level. Hit us up with your thoughts, 650-650. We'll talk about it next on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Breakout candidates for the Canucks is what we were talking about before the break and. There's a lot of a lot of opinions coming in on Connor Garland. That's the obvious one, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of excitement in this market. There's a lot of hope in this market. Bo Horvat finally, finally has his top six running mate. Who plays on the other wing? We'll wait and see. You're going to have to, you know, I think this league is more about duos anyways right now rather than, than full lines. But it feels like Bo Horvat has his his running mate, but there are some other questions, you know, other options that are out there. And Niels Hoaglander was one that Blake brought up. Raja, you brought up Tyler Mott, which is further down the lineup. Somebody that nobody's brought up yet, though, is a, a defenseman. And 
the direction that I'm looking at is Jack Rathbone. We've heard from, you know, Ian McIntyre's mention. Rathbone's job is pretty much to lose. Like, you're going to need a reason not to dress him on the Canucks next year in a third-pair role, right? He's got to have a terrible camp if that were to happen. Is he not a game-changer in the sense that if you have three play-driving defensemen on each pair, if Ekman Larson can rediscover that form, that's a huge win for the Canucks. Mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes, you know what you have there. He's a dynamic defenseman. We have been raving about him in this city. Defensively had some issues, some serious issues last year. But we'll see, you know, maybe with another, you know, a change-up forward group, maybe he can rediscover that form. But Jack Rathbone, if you can have that also, elements of that on your third pairing, I think he's a bit of a breakout candidate as well. He's not going to get much ice time, but when he's on the ice, can he change and can he, you know, change the way that they play from a third pair perspective? That could be a big... Big mover for them. What does it mean for Rathbone to be a breakout candidate? Like, for me, what that means is that he proves to be an everyday NHL defenseman. Right? Is that what you get from Jack Rathbone, where he can prove to be in the lineup game in and game out? Now, here's the thing. I don't think, Randeep, that we're going to get that from him straight away. I don't think in October, November, that's going to be something that we're going to be seeing from Rathbone. I feel like we'll we'll see uh, signs that he has that potential to to be that guy that can play game in and game out but I do feel like there might be a little bit of a slow cook approach with Jack Rathbone as well considering the fact that the Vancouver Canucks also have a player in in Brad Hunt that they brought in who who played very well uh, for the Minnesota Wild the last handful of seasons including a 22 point campaign just a couple of years ago so there is that ability where this is a Canucks team that obviously has playoff aspirations and they need to get off to a good start as well that if things aren't really going the way that that they want to go, especially on the defensive side of the puck where I think a lot of people think that is going to be the biggest issue for them, do they go with a more veteran player and bringing up a player like Brad Hunt and, or whoever else it might be to yep. shift up the lines a little bit? So I do think at the beginning we might see Jack Rathbone come out of the lineup. You're right, it is his job to lose on paper, but from an actual on-ice perspective, when you look at Quinn Hughes or Travis Hamannick, Lech Ekman Larson, Tyler Myers, Tucker Pullman, and who's the next guy? It's probably Jack Rathbone, but who's the first guy also to come out of the lineup? It's probably Jack Rathbone as well. Okay, so we had Brad Hunt on the People Show a couple of weeks ago, and I would argue probably one of the best interviews, all because of him, not us. Mm-hmm. Just a, a very you know enthusiastic player to be playing in his hometown. But he did say one thing in that interview, that he's not seeing you know himself destined for the AHL. He wants to play in the NHL. So he's coming in with that competition factor. So even though we might think Jack Rathbone, and maybe organizationally they say Jack Rathbone is the answer even in the short term, now with all these veteran players on the back end providing options, especially with a Brad Hunt who's played at a high level, there might be a little bit of a competition here. I like this text from Marcus and Gibsons as well. Adding in a player that we've kind of forgot about. Maybe with more depth on defensemen, we see Olio Levy have a breakout season. Internal competition is a good thing for younger players. Mm-hmm. It is a make-or-break season for Anoli Alevi. When you have Jack Rathbone in the pipeline, and probably destined, if not this year, definitely the year after, to be on the team, then you have a Brad Hunt, who is essentially another player to say, okay, Oli, if you don't turn it up, guess what? We've got, we've got other guys now. Breakout? I think he needs a breakout season. He kind of does. He, de- he definitely needs one to stay relevant in this market because there's veterans and younger players that are ready to pass him. And you got to remember the contract that he got as well. And, and it's a one-year deal. 
for Ole Levy. And we'll see exactly what that means for him next year. But you're right. If things aren't going well for for a for the Vancouver Canucks on the blue line, I don't think Ole Levy is the next call up, Randy. Right? We just mentioned it. We do think it's Brad Hunt. So what does that mean for Ulevi? Not only that he, does he need to show well at the start of training camp right away, at the start of preseason, but also when he goes down to Abbotsford, if that's where we expect him to play, then will he be able to go in and, and also show well there as well? And and you know what? If that means he's not playing in the lineup and he's in he's in the press box and he has to practice with the squad, it's it's a, it's a, going to be a tough situation for Ulevi to come in. But you're right. When he does play... There's kind of a short leash with them there. I think it's a valid question to ask. Even if he does have a bit of a breakout, even if he does, if he has a good camp, how much does it matter at this point? Because you do have another player making his way up. Mm-hmm. You do have veteran voices. So are you looking at the player as, hey, wow, okay, he's got a gear that we knew he had. It just took a while. Or are you saying, all right, there's an uptick in his value and you move on with them, and you hope that you can maybe get something back. Because I feel like the Canucks are at that spot right now where they've got enough depth back there where all of a sudden you do have options if he shows you something. That's a big if. We don't know if he's going to show anything in camp. So to me, Ole Levy, I feel like the moment has passed. But then again, this is what players you know can prove radio host wrong. But look at what they've done organizationally. They have other options. They're not relying on a player like that anymore. And that's telling. Exactly, and, and that's where the Canucks have kind of moved on in that sense. Not not physically, not actually. They haven't waived him or anything like that. They haven't traded him. They obviously gave him the contract. But they have moved on in the sense that, okay, we do know we're not in a position to, to, to risk our injury status or risk what happens and, and us not make the playoffs and then have Yule Levy to be the guy that we fall back on. Right, This team has obviously internally taken the next step from management's point of view to say we need to add depth last year, especially after, la- uh, especially after last season when you saw how the lack of depth impacted where this Vancouver Canucks team finished in the standings at the very bottom of the, the North Division, as you mentioned, behind Ottawa. So, like, yeah, in that sense, this Canucks team has moved on. But at the same time, it is still up to Ole Levy to show that he can stay, show that he can be an everyday NHL defenseman. And when he does get into the lineup, that he can play a, a solid defensive role. We got a text here from Tanbeer650650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Connor Garland also loves the way Rathbone plays. Good to know legit NHL players think he can make an impact and he can become that impact player. Obviously, having that respect, having the respect of current NHLers goes a long way. You know, even a couple of years ago, talking to Chris Higgins before he got promoted another time. You know, he's saying Jack Rathbone two years ago could run the Utica power play. That's how good he felt he was. So fast forward a couple years, we've seen him in the NHL in a cameo. We've seen him in the AHL. The expectations are high. His peers think he's ready. Uh, I think this one from uh, Detroit Bryan's an interesting one. This suggestion, Quinn Hughes. Some would argue a couple of years ago he had his breakout, but there was a step back. And is there another level? I think with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, there are diff- other levels. So... I think that's actually a great, you know, suggestion by Detroit Bryan. If you think they're ready to take that next step, another 10 or 15% in their game, Quinn Hughes could be a great bet. Like, it's an obvious one if the Canucks want to be good. But how much better can these guys be? And yeah, this, could this be another breakout year from a Quinn Hughes? But for Quinn Hughes and breaking out, I think everybody looks at Quinn Hughes and they look at his skating and they look at that point number on the stat line 53 points I believe it was in his rookie campaign 41 points last year in a shortened year 
But for me, breaking out does not mean getting the 60 points, Randeep. No. It means being much better. And I mean much better in your own zone. Last year, Quinn Hughes, for me, was... I don't want to say a disappointment, but from what I saw in the defensive zone, hey, listen, everybody in the Canucks blue line was was terrible. Puck management was also an issue. That was, was a, that was a big-time issue. Exactly. But your top defenseman, your number one defenseman in Quinn Hughes was not up to par in that category as well. And, and I look at a situation last year, and I think that Tyler Myers was this, this team's best defenseman last year. That's like my legitimate opinion. And that says something, and I'm not talking about moving the puck out. I'm talking about both sides. All-around play. Okay, for a stretch of the season, though, Nate Schmidt was even in the conversation. Sure. And Nate Schmidt had a bad year. Yep. And he's no longer in Vancouver. So that tells you how bad defensively this team was. And that includes Quinn Hughes. So for me, breaking out, sure, get to 50 points, get to 60 points. That's great. But you need to be able to clean it up in your own end. And a lot of the people, and I hear this argument all the time, people will say that, well, put put a good defenseman next to Quinn Hughes. Make his partner better than a Travis Hamannick, better than a Luke Shen. But a lot of the mistakes that I saw from Quinn Hughes was him being beat one-on-one, him losing his man in his own zone, and he gets beat backdoor. Those are the kinds of mistakes I see. That doesn't happen with a better partner. So I'm not saying that it was a disappointing year necessarily for Quinn Hughes. He's still very young. He's only 21 years of age, and it's kind of unfair that there is this much pressure on him, but at the same time, a breakout year for Hughes means better defensive play rather than offense. Okay, so you talk about pressure, though. The pressure starts now or whenever that contract is signed because on an ELC, we can chalk it up as growing pains. You know, first three years in the league, it's going to be a difficult situation. You're learning the game, and it's true. But once you start making seven digits... And from what we're hearing of where that number will be, not only for him, but Elias Pettersson, becomes real all of a sudden. So, yes, if we're saying Eric Carlson was one of the best defensemen in his prime that we've ever seen, and I know a lot of people are going to say Bobby, like I'm talking about my life. I didn't see Bobby Orr play, but Eric Carlson, when he was playing his highest level of hockey, is some of the best we've seen from a defenseman on an offensive side. Mm -hmm. Defensively, he was a mess. Oh, yeah. Defensively. He was in trouble, and Mark Mathot was the perfect partner for him during his prime because all of a sudden, he'd just stay home, sit back and do his thing, and make up for a lot of mistakes that Eric Carlson made. If Quinn Hughes is going to be similar to that even, you still need him to improve defensively. The, the Canucks don't have that partner. They don't have a Mark Mathot. They don't have, you know, I know there's this idea that maybe you get like a Brendan Dillon type of player or somebody rough and tumble that just stays home. Hamnick's going to have to play that. But we know Hamannick is not the ideal. There were probably other players that were hitting free agency that a Montour or somebody would profile a little bit better. Quinn Hughes is going to have to be better defensively over the next couple of years now. And a lot of the arguments surrounding Quinn Hughes and his play in the defensive zone is the lack of defensive zone coverage he should have, right? Because he's able to play so much in the offensive zone where the transition game is just so quick that he doesn't even need to play in the defensive zone. And that's a legitimate point because that's obviously his biggest strength is the skating, is the transition, is the offense. But when this team is stuck in their own zone, which as we've seen, it's happened quite a number of times, and it's going to be a little bit better this year. The forward group has improved. The forward group has improved, so it should be in theory. And you've also had the addition of Bradshaw. This is a team that in theory, should be better all around from the defensive side of the puck. So I do like that suggestion by Detroit Bryan. Uh, but at the same time, there's still some work to do, not only from Quinn Hughes, and I don't mean to harp on him, but from the entire blue line as a whole to, to really up their game defensively. And Oliver ekman Larson plays into that as well. Exactly. Not necessarily a breakout, but that defense and that future of that defense could rely on him. 
if those 25 minutes or 23 minutes he plays a game are, for the most part, you know, defending well, he's creating, he's more in the offensive zone, then all of a sudden you're okay with that. And all if, of a sudden, if it goes the other way, yeah, Raja, there's problems with that roster. He's he's probably the most important player in terms of, is this team going to be successful in terms of defending and pushing the pace? If his pace is not there in defending or, you know, making those breakout passes and all Reckman Larson does not, I wouldn't say return to the player we know, but if he doesn't head back in that direction or remind us of that player, the Canucks are in a for you know it's going to be a, it's a problems problematic situation. Well, yeah, if Quinn Hughes is your candidate to be a breakout player, then all of a sudden you're looking at Oliver Ekman Larson as the best best uh, uh, comeback story of the season for the Canucks, right? And and again, he was still able to put up points as well, right? I don't think we should, we would be surprised at a 30, 35, maybe even a 40-point pace for a player like Oliver ekman Larson. But it all comes back to how you play in your own end and how much the 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 upgrade on the forward group is going to help med- mitigate some of that uh, the potential mess-ups that we might see from that blue line. All right, so those are the Canucks breakout candidates, but we did want to look at the rest of the league as well. And we've had a couple of suggestions come in. We'll get to those in a second. Send yours in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Across the league, who are you looking at? I'll get started with mine first. And I know this might be like, okay, but this person's been in, in the news for a long time. How is it a breakout candidate? To me, this player is Carter Hart. Carter Hart had a bad year last year. There was a lot of hype over the last two years about how he'd be a Vesna candidate, how he's the second coming of Carey Price. But it was a very, very disappointing season for him last year where the Flyers didn't really have any confidence in him. And to be quite honest, he didn't have any confidence in their defense. I think this year could be a breakout year for him. 23-year-old Carter Hart finally hitting the level that we expect from him. Flyers have revamped their defense, you know, bringing in a Ryan Ellis, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, and we'll see how that works in Philadelphia. It's not a, exactly a ringing endorsement, but you do have more players that can push the pace a little bit with a Keith Yandel now as well. But with a Carter Hart, that's the player I look at and say, okay, Philadelphia, they're face, facing the pressure, they've revamped who they are, and they've got players that can make a difference. We've seen, you know, bad year for Konechny last year. Couturier wasn't playing all that much. You know, they obviously brought in a Cam Atkinson for the Voracek deal. They they tinkered with a lot. That will probably be better for them in the in the big scheme of things. I think Cam Atkinson is a, an upgrade on what Jake Bear, Voracek is now. But beyond that, I think Carter Hart, this is the year that he's got to take over. And I, I would bank on, you know, special players figuring it out. And he is kind of that next one. He's supposed to be that next big goalie. So to me, the player to watch is in the Eastern Conference. And it's Carter Hart because I think he's ready to make that next step. Last year was bad, but, you know, you bank on talent and he's got oodles of it. How long has Philly been looking for a goaltender for? And they seemingly finally had one a couple of years ago when Carter Hart had that great campaign. And and all of a sudden last year it was taken away from them. And, And it seems like fans in Philadelphia were afraid of going down this rabbit hole again of not having a goalie for however long. But I, I, I'm with you where I like the additions that they've made. And they had not only what I like about Philly, and, and look, we don't need to talk about the overpayment that might have been with Rasmus Ristolainen, but what I like about them is that they were able to add different kinds of players. Ryan Ellis gives you that 
ability on the blue line to move the puck out, but also plays a very big style, even though he might not be the biggest defenseman. Blocks a lot of shots. He gives you good offensive output. I think him alongside Ivan Provorov could potentially be a really good pairing in the league. And with Ristolainen, now they've got that legitimate big player who also is a very uh, intimidating guy to go up against as well. So I think they've shored up that blue line to make it more well-rounded, not only from an offensive point of view, but from a puck transitioning point of view. And they also did uh, to put pen to paper with Travis Anheim as well. But this is a team that also added Martin Jones. And look, say what you want about Jones. In San Jose, it was a disaster. That contract did not work out whatsoever. Uh, it was not the goalie of the future in San Jose, but he brings a little bit of a veteran presence to a goalie who's very young in Carter Hart, only 23 years of age. That tandem, could they work together and and be, you know, in that mix to, to really make Carter Hart that next breakout candidate? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good bet. But Randeep, like, it's going to come a lot to do with how this blue line can really yeah. figure it out and play together and, and how Martin Jones does as well. They're going to have to gel. And at some point, and I know it's early, 23 years of age does not, you know, Obviously, with wingers and forwards and defensemen, you wait till the age of 24, maybe 25. With goalies, when you're announced as the next one, there's added pressure. And it feels like last year, the pressure kind of got to Carter Hart. And their defense was a mess. Philadelphia reminded me of the team that was coached by Dave Haxtall a few years back when they were atrocious. Not by Ilan Vigno. But I think there's a bounce back there for Carter Hart based on, you know, just having that revamped defense. We got some more text coming in. Uh... Here as well. We've got uh, one from Jimmy. Pierre-Luc Dubois for the Jets. Comeback year. Last year, after that deal, and we were all kind of getting up on the you know soapbox and saying, oh, Winnipeg won the deal, or Columbus won the deal. Nobody won the deal. <laughs> no. It was atrocious on both ends. 20 points in 41 games. After scoring one goal in five games for Columbus, and he makes a switch over, and he's a half a point per game player. In the playoffs... He was bad. He had three assists in seven games. That's a good That's a good pick there. This is a player that does need to show something, right? Winnipeg goes after him because they wanted that player that, that could maybe be that physical presence who could add some offense. And even though he's a matchup problem, at his best, he's a huge matchup problem. Go back to the, a couple of years ago when he was playing in the playoffs. Ask the Montreal, or sorry, the Toronto Maple Leafs how big of a, a matchup problem Pierre-Luc Dubois at his best is. He wasn't last that last year. He was a shell of him, his former self. So I think that's a comeback and a, a breakout makes sense. He's got 61 points as a career high. Is he capable of more? The way he profiles, I don't know. Well, on that same... Well, first of all, I do think that that's a really good answer by Jimmy. But on that same sort of note, where does Patrick Laine fit in? Is that a breakout candidate that's already happened? Like, he obviously had a 45-44 goal campaign in his second year, I believe, in the National Hockey League. He's hit the 70-point threshold. But after that, it's gone downhill, including last year. You just mentioned the stat line for Pierre-Luc Dubois. It was identical for Patrick Laine, a player that is one of the best offensive players when he's on his game in the entire NHL, uh, a guy that's supposed to be the heir apparent to Alexander Ovechkin. So where do we see... Uh, Patrick Laine fit in. It's more of a bounce back rather than a a, a comeback story. But I don't know what can we expect from Laine next year. Patrick Laine is you know a player that you look back and say, okay, how much is he really into this right now? Because last year that yeah. that relationship between him and John Tortorella, like we there was a okay, how are these two guys going to really jive? And clearly that played out a little bit, right? But we had Brad Larson on the People Show saying 
hey, this is a new relationship. This is something that Patrick, she got to get back to the basics and playing hockey and enjoying what he does. And that's where I think, I'm curious to see that situation because yes, I have been selling my Patrick Line stock of late. I don't know if there's, especially with that team, they don't have many star players around him. What was the best thing about Winnipeg? That top six was loaded. He could play on the first line, he could play on the second line, and he would get fed on the power play right. all the time. No issues. Does he have that star talent in Columbus? No, he doesn't. Not at this point in time. Can he produce? We got another one from Minor Matt here on the text line, 650-650. Trevor Zegras. He's one of my favorite players to come out of that draft. Just the silky smooth dangles he has. Intelligent player. Can embarrass dudes. And just a really, really skilled player. It would be a breakout year, but I think we should not be surprised by that one simply based on the fact that he's going to be one of the next best players in the NHL. He's a part of that next generation that is going to take over at some point. He's a part of that group. So could he be a breakout next year? 100%. He should be a Calder candidate. It's not going to surprise anybody, though. I don't think so. And look, it would be very welcomed, obviously, by the Anaheim Ducks, who really don't have a whole lot of talent on that squad. And they're they're getting some young guys. He's a first-line center already. I know. And they're getting some young guys. Like, he's probably going to be playing uh, alongside Maxime Comtois. They've got, obviously, uh, help up the middle with, uh, with Sam Steele as well. So they've got young guys throughout that lineup. But, you know, who else is he going to be playing with? Is it going to be a Ricard Raquel? Is it going to be a- an Adam Henrique? Like, what's the kind of help that he's going to have alongside him? And so that's going to be interesting. But you're right. Like, Trevor Zegers obviously has that ability to, to really be in the Calder Trophy conversation and obviously a breakout candidate as well. I really like uh, this one from Freddie in Victoria. Comeback season for Louis Erickson. 30 goals, book it, he says. Yeah. He's going to replace Connor Garland, essentially. Okay, if he plays for the Tucson Roadrunners, maybe 30 <laughs> goals. In the NHL with the Arizona Coyotes, hey, he could play top six minutes, which at the very least, he would be a third liner. That's crazy. I don't think it's going to happen, but I like the optimism there, Freddie. Uh, we got this one. Warren coming in with a hot take. I like this one. Yes, he. Pugliarvi, or Yessa Pugliarvi, with the Edmonton Oilers, he will get 25 goals, 50 points on a line with McDavid and Hyman. Here's why I don't disagree, because I would get 25 goals on a line with McDavid and Hyman. Didn't we see this with Ty Ratty? Remember that one, the... when that preseason when Ty Ratty just went off? Didn't we see this with Patrick Maroon? 29 goal season? Yeah. yeah. It was really, really the building blocks towards his three Stanley Cups. Okay, so Hyman's going to do the dirty work on that line. Yep. McDavid's going to do everything. If you're Pugliarvi, your job is to get in front of the net, essentially play the redeem verbata role with the Sedins. Yep. Just get in a shooting you know, situation, find that soft area, and pull the trigger. He's got a heavy shot. He's a big boy as well. Plays kind of a, a greasy style, that finish style that we're so used to seeing throughout you know, so many players that have played in this league. He just needs to sort of put it all together, right? And when you're playing with McDavid, it really doesn't get a whole lot easier. Okay, so... Staying in Alberta, I know he doesn't play there anymore, but we got another one from Alistair in Clearwater coming in with 18-year-old Sam Bennett. Saying 25 goals with the Florida Panthers. He's got a new contract there. Yep. And remember, in the final 10 games of the year with the Panthers, he had 15 points. And in the playoffs, he was a player that you know stood out. He was playing bigger. He was playing meaner. He was one of those players that it felt like getting out of the Canadian market, getting out of a... Kind of a negative situation in Calgary for him, where he was called out. Yep. He thrived. Like, 25 goals from him, 
remember, he in his official rookie year, he had 18. That's doable. That's 100% doable. And you know what? He's a player that loves playing in the postseason. And this Florida Panthers team has Stanley Cup aspirations. So I think the entire year in Florida is going to be revolving around getting the most buy-in from everybody on your lineup. And I think Sam Bennett has that in him. Because he's been working so hard to play on a team and play in a style that plays the way the Florida Panthers play. Right? Where it's speed, it's heavy, it's hard-hitting, it's hard-checking, it's high-energy. That's the kind of game that Sam Bennett thrives in. And we've seen his playoff numbers. They're absolutely incredible. I think Sam Bennett can do very well playing under the Florida Panthers. All right, keep coming with those submissions, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, We've got a lot coming in. We'll share those a little bit later on. But after the break, we're going to talk about something that had Raja Shergill buzzing over the weekend. And we'll also be joined by Mr. Fixit, Ken Priestley, next on Sportsnet 650. 233, Bick and the Boss, Randeep Janda, Raja Shergill, and yes, you heard that, wrestling fan. CM Punk made his return to professional wrestling. AEW, not the WWE, and wrestling fans out there were losing it. A lot of returns, actually. There was Brock Lesnar returning to WWE as well. But Raja, like, you were just going off on social media. You texted me of how excited you were. I'm an old-school wrestling fan. What did that moment mean to you? It, that's the best wrestler in in my eyes in the past 20 years. To Chicago Blackhawks fan, though. Oh, yeah. What does it matter to me? I'm Vancouverite. A, yeah, well. Okay, but still, you're a huge CM Punk fan. The, the best wrestler for me in the last 20, 25 years. And look, John Cena's in that category too, sure, whatever. But what it, CM Punk has meant to wrestling fans is is incredible. And he obviously got the ovation that he deserved. And it's been seven years since wrestling fans have seen him on the air. And he, for people who aren't wrestling fans, he didn't leave. He didn't leave in a very, you know, positive way or anything. He just left in the middle of his contract. Yep. Was very upset, and he finally comes back now. So, uh, very refreshing to see him back. And it was such a great moment. I'm not a huge wrestling fan now, but that pop of when he entered the arena, just going off. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty amazing. And it's rarely you see that in wrestling these days. I remember, you know, when The Rock returned. Something very similar yep. where the arena went nuts. And even looking across sports, like there's certain moments where you look back and say, I remember that return. You know, Michael Jordan is obviously one when he comes back from his retirement. He was wearing number 45. Uh, in hockey, Mario Lemieux yep. is something that we look back in his return and everything that he had to go through in his 44-month layoff. That is one where even as a, a you know a teenager... You remember that and say that was a special moment. I think a lot of wrestling fans feel the same way about this. Yeah, Sidney Crosby in 2011 was such a great one too when he came back, got those couple goals against the New York Islanders. It, it was so great to see. And and also the fact that it was all over Twitter, not only just on wrestling Twitter, but it was taken over by Sportsnet tweeting it out, ESPN tweeting it out, and other uh, mainstream sports uh, outlets tweeting it out as well and sharing what a moment it was truly reflects how great of a situation this is for wrestling fans. Okay, we got uh, Mr. Fixit Ken Priestley coming up Dunbar Lumber two-time Stanley Cup champion as well and Ken first of all how are you doing not bad I'm actually was just scrambling here because I'm in Whistler at the moment okay. and uh about five minutes ago I had no reception so now I'm sitting at the top of Creekside parking lot okay. <laughs> just trying to get a good reception here no we got you loud and clear here we're actually good we were talking about Mario when he returned from his 44 month layoff and just talking about the great returns in sports you played with them you know them uh, watching that happen, you know, after the fact, well, 
when he he came back and he made his return. Do you remember that moment? Because it was you know there's only a few moments in sports history where you can look back and say, "Wow, that was a special special time." Yeah, it was it was a special moment because you knew uh, not only did you know him personally and you played with him, as you said, but he he was such a he was just at the you know at the top of his game when 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 all this stuff kind of happened to him and uh, it was just so there was so much uncertainty and uh, you know obviously for him to come back and after the layoff that he did and still have the impact that he did have it was it was incredible and it was a, a very emotional time for him and his family I'm sure but uh, for the players and his teammates and fans and and the whole NHL it was it was spectacular to witness well Ken we were just talking about CM Punk making his return to pro wrestling and how buzzed the United Center in Chicago truly was but from your playing days in the NHL do you remember days uh, or games like that where there was such an electric atmosphere in the NHL and in whatever rink that you were playing in well, I don't think uh, it takes much to get Chicago fired up, right? <laughs> they, that, that, re, that, that arena is always fired up. I don't think that I ever played a game in there, whether it was uh, preseason or regular season or playoffs, that it wasn't uh, the same atmosphere. And, and I, I didn't play in the United Center. We played in the old Chicago Stadium, and, and uh, that place shook. And uh, it, was a, it was an amazing place to play, an amazing atmosphere. I can only imagine being the hometown uh, hometown team and playing that. I'm sure it was a at least a goal a game crowd. You're listening to Sportsnet 650. We're joined by Ken Priestley. Uh, Ken, last week we were you know we found out that uh, Henrik Lundqvist would be calling it a career. Unfortunately, uh, didn't see him hit the ice the last time uh, after his his heart condition. But you know, in an era of top end goaltending, we're talking about Lundqvist. We're talking Luongo, Carey Price is in that mold as well. How do you look back at his career and, and the type of goal he was in his prime? Uh, he was such an impact player. Uh, you know, every time he played, uh, he gave the Rangers a, a chance to win, a legitimate chance to win. And um, I, I think that uh, his leadership in the, in, in the dressing room, I just think his, his personality was so, was so big uh, in New York. And, I mean, obviously everybody loved him. I'm, I'm sure that his, his teammates were – were 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 just as you know thrilled to have him as as a player as he was to play in front of but um you know he's going to be one of those goalies that goes down as 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 one of the best ever to play uh he's played some fantastic games some fantastic playoff series um he just uh yeah it was kind of a, a sad way for his career to end but um but uh, he he he's a great great performer great goalie Ken Priestley, our guest here on Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Ken, we were talking about some of the breakout candidates this year for the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously, they have a handful of uh, new players that have the potential to, to really light it up. When you look at this team this coming season, is there somebody in on the top of your mind that you believe can and can truly be a breakout star for Vancouver this year? Um, you know, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Brock Besser. I'm a, I'm a big Brock Besser fan. I, I like the way he plays. Uh, I, I, he, he is to me, he's, he's a legitimate 34, goal, 30, 40 goal scorer every year. And, um, you know, he's, he, his game changed last year in this, uh, in this pandemic league that we had, you know, world that we had and, and it was for so much the better. And he started out so hot, and and, uh, and 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 then the team kind of slid a little bit. But you know, I think I think Brock is is definitely someone uh, now with support around him. 
uh, more support around him. I, I think there's not a, a ton of pressure on him to consistently score. Um, but I think it's going to help his game to allow him to consistently score and not be such a, maybe a streaky guy. But uh, I, I love the way he plays. I, I think we got nothing but great things ahead for that, uh, for Brock. And uh, I think he's going to show us uh, the type of goal scorer that he is this year uh, and for more years to come. Yeah, his all-around game really improved last year. Can he keep it up? And uh, it's it's a contract year for a Brock Besser as well. So it's a big, big year. Uh, Ken, thank you very much for joining us as you do every week. And uh, we'll look forward to this uh, and uh, about doing it again. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Ken Priestley of Dunbar Lumber. Mr. Fix-It, two-time Stanley Cup champion as well, and uh, his breakout candidate is Brock Besser. Okay, with Brock Besser, 29 goals, but he hasn't hit that 35-40 to 40 goal range yet, right? He hasn't. That's what Brock Besser was first kind of imagined to be. But since then, he's kind of developed his overall game. He's a better playmaker. He's a better 200-foot player. So, to me... Not necessarily a breakout player. Can he keep it up? I feel last year was kind of his breakout year. Can he keep it up? And this is a contract year. It's a big year for him. Can he show that he is a seven-plus million-dollar player for the Canucks? Yeah, that's been the the biggest issue or, or biggest question mark, I guess, right? Surrounding... Surrounding Brock Besser, is he going to be able to live up to a contract that can potentially see him getting paid more than $7 million? And look, in his first couple of years, he was at that 50 to 60 point point mark, right? Where he was getting 55, 56, and then injuries kind of derailed him a little bit. The question mark, I think, still has to be, can he stay healthy? And, and what happens when he plays a full 82 games? This year is going to really define what that means for Brock Besser. Is he going to be able to stay healthy, play in a full 82, or at least close to it? And then what does that what does that uh, outlook look like for a Brock Besser when he does get into 70 plus games in the NHL, right? Does that does it ever drop off a little bit? Does he go through long periods where he's struggling to find his game? Because sometimes we've seen that. Obviously last year throughout the 56 games, Vancouver's arguably Vancouver's best player. But over a course of 82, how much could he keep up with it? I, I like Brock Besser as a player. I think that he does have that ability to be a $7-plus million player. But he's going to have to ultimately prove it. And he hasn't done that necessarily at a full length of a season yet. Now, can he? I don't really have any doubts about that. Randy, I, I like his game. I think the confidence in him has definitely grown as well. It's, it's going to be great to see what he can do. In the short term, you want to see how this roster does. Obviously, it's a big year for a Jim Benning. You want this team to be back in the playoffs. That's the organization's goal. But when you start looking short or long-term, when you start looking beyond this year, the Canucks do have to make a decision. And that decision may rest on a Brock Besser and a JT Miller. When you sign Elias Pettersson and Quinn Houston Big Money, which is going to happen at some point, there's not that much money left around. JT Miller is going to be, you know, do a new contract in a couple of years. Brock Besser is going to be a restricted free agent again after next season. So if you are spending a fair bit of money, where's that going? For me, if Brock Besser can continue to show he is that player they showed last year, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Because JT Miller, at when he becomes a free agent, will be 30 years old. And then you have to start asking, okay, is Pod Colson graduated to that point? Is a Hoaglander taking that next step? You know, with Connor Garland, all of a sudden, you have him under contract. There's other options there, but you do have to make a decision in the next year or so in the long term. In the short term, it's not a problem. You've got depth, 
But we know in a cap world, when the cap is not going up for probably the next few years, or it's going to go up a million here, a million there, this is going to be the next big question for the Canucks beyond this year. This is people already texting in saying that's why you don't make the Oliver Ekman Larson deal. Already, people are, are, are looking at their phones, texting us that this is probably why you don't make those kinds of deals because the Canucks have a lot of cap uncertainty down the road in a couple of years with Brock Besser and JT Miller. But you're right when it comes to what the decisions that need to be made surrounding a Besser or surrounding a, a, a JT Miller and Bo Horvat's in that category as well. Don't forget that his contract's up in a couple of years too. It's going to be interesting to see, but obviously, Randeep, to me, it's you've got to go with the younger guy. But again, it's not as easy of a decision to make when that contract that you're looking at might be a little bit cheaper when you're going with the guy that is 30 years old, or might be a guy that is going to be playing in a role that has succeeded, obviously, for a long time. So you're right; it's going to be it's going to be hard to make that decision. I think, at least, you know, when we talk about it right now, it seems like a no-brainer, but people that are signing these checks and the people that are actually making the decisions for them it's going to have to it's going to be a little bit tougher yeah that's the uh, the long-term kind of view here I, I love this text from ricky coming in have you guys seen any of brock's highlights from the beauty league he's looking clutch all right i've said this before i'm going to say it again nfl preseason football and the beauty league are one and the same to me at least with the nfl preseason you can take something out of it the beauty league you can't take anything out nothing. of it. nothing 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 you can take the fact that he can skate that he knows how to skate. You know what you take? Yes, he's on the ice. Yeah. That's good. Yep. That's great. He's getting some practice in. That's all it is. Uh, I love the text. You know it's hockey season or nearing hockey season when Vancouver starts quote tweeting and retweeting the Beauty League highlights. Uh, 650, 650. Hit us up with your breakout candidates. Uh, Connor Garland is running away with this. A lot of texts on that. Brian from Burke Mountain saying, Connor Garland, easy. He's going to have a breakout. Should be on track expectation probably is around 60 to 65 points. You're playing top six minutes. You want to be in a position where you're saying if Bo Horvat's getting about 60 to 65, Connor Garland's got to be in that same group. And all of a sudden, you're probably looking at some power play time. If there's injuries on power play one, he's probably there as well. If not, if they're looking for a different look. So Connor Garland to me is the the obvious with a bullet, should be a breakout candidate. If there isn't, then there's a, then there's a problem this year because you need him to produce probably in that 60 point range. Well, yeah, exactly. And and look, you, you saw what this Canucks team has done when they've had star-level talent or, or legitimate goal-scoring talent, I should say, on that top six. And like they've had it with a Tyler Toffoli. And, and prior to that, they had Tanner Pearson, who obviously we've mentioned is more of a, a third-line player. But he showed that he had good chemistry with Bo Horvat and they were able to provide good scoring ability. They were able to provide good scoring ability. So my point is that Bo Horvat, whoever he's played with, he, ha- he himself has uh, produced, but also the players around him have also produced at a pretty decent clip as well. So when you actually get a guy who is known for his goal scoring ability and also known to get points in a system that is pretty defensive in the Arizona Coyotes. To me, there's not really a whole lot of question marks surrounding Connor Garland. The biggest thing for this Canucks team, especially up front, has to be to stay positive if they really want to get the most of this potential. Okay, looking across the league, because we did ask this question at the top of the hour, the Canucks, we had that conversation, but who across the league? We got some really good suggestions. I went with Carter Hart. Um, we got this one, unsigned text. Sorry, it's Rager actually coming in with this one. Dylan Cousins played 42 games last year, only had 13 points. Eichel's going to be gone, and Cousins is going to be moved up to the first line, and there will be lots of power play one time. Uh, that's a great call. Another Calder Trophy, you know, 
player in normal times. Obviously, you know, he's hit that threshold, so he, he's hit, played 42 games, but on a underachieving team in, you know, in Buffalo. If he was on another team, maybe those point totals are higher and he's in the conversation. But to me, Dylan Cousins is going to be that sort of player where you look at and say, yeah, he could, he could be in for a lot of ice time, a lot of points on a pretty, pretty terrible team. Yeah, that's the, that's the part that kind of throws me off. Is I find it hard to pick players that are on a, on a god awful team, and hey, listen, the same way that I mentioned Tyler Mott, uh, and the same way that we t- talked about Jack Rathbone breaking out for different players and for different teams and different situations means different things. So for Dylan Cousins, it might not be about uh, necessarily getting to you know seventy points or whatever it is. It's it's about really just showing that he can be take the next step in Buffalo and show that he can be your everyday National Hockey League player and also develop into a pretty good center iceman or whatever position if it's on the wing that you want to play him, right? So it depends on what exactly that sort of status is that you want for your young player to reach. Same thing goes for Trevor Zegers. What does that mean to take the next step? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what that means for Dylan Cousins, but obviously he, he has the potential to do it. Another player... That could see an uptick, and we got this text from Blake uh, earlier on in the show. Chicago Blackhawks, Kirby Doc. He had 23 points in his rookie year. He had 10 and 18 last year. And remember, he did get injured last year, so therefore he didn't see too much ice. But Chicago has kind of reshuffled, restocked. You go get Seth Jones. You go get Marc-Andre Fleury. You go get a number of options on that team. Kirby Doc is going to play a central role on offense for that team. We saw in his first year, he's a big boy at six foot four. Now at the age of 20 years old, 23 points was his initial point total. He would have gone surpassed that easily last year had he stayed healthy. But I think 50 points, 55 points, if he plays in a top six role, which he should stay healthy. To me, he's a breakout candidate. This is where, you know, he showed something in his first year, in his rookie year, where all of a sudden it was kind of that, you know, a bit of a man-child element to him. He's kind of got that to his game. He's not quite a Brady Kachuk. Nobody is. But he does have that element to his game. High skill, big boy, tough to handle. I think Kirby Doc's a great shout. I, I really like the way Kirby Doc plays. I, I do think that he has that potential to do that. And another player that is kind of in the similar mold, and, and look, this depends on exactly how the Vegas Golden Knights utilize him. And I've seen the text of, of it being Nolan Patrick, but I'm not going to go with Nolan Patrick here. I'll say Peyton Krebs. And look, he hasn't played in the National Hockey League yet, um, or he's played a handful of games. I think maybe three or four games he's played. And, you know, where is he going to play on that line? It's probably a fourth-line role, but can he prove to be an everyday player? And if he does, he's had that injury history a little bit too, but can he be healthy, and can he also show that he could play well in his own zone? Because... That's, I think, his biggest issue. We know what he can do on the offensive side of the puck, but can he play well in his own zone? Uh, let's see what you know uh, Peyton Krebs can do because that's another player I'm very excited about. Yeah, that's a solid option as well. He's got to work his way. You know, is he ready for the center role in the NHL? Probably, Probably not right not. off the bat. But if there's any team that doesn't have that depth, and you can over time, I'm not saying one year, but over a couple of years, you know, rise in that lineup. Yeah, the Vegas Golden Knights don't really have an answer at center for the long term. So mm-hmm. Peyton Krebs could become that immediately, probably not in the short term. We've had uh, a couple of more texts coming in here. Want to tie this up. Marcus and Gibson's coming in with Sam Bennett, who we mentioned earlier. But Sam Ra- Reinhardt, does he have that next level to his game? He's had a couple of good years in, you know, Buffalo. He's really shown that he can be a goal scorer. 
Does he hit another level in Florida? He's getting paid pretty well. Well, we we talked about Sam Reinhart in length because he was a candidate that a lot of people were talking about that could be on the Vancouver Canucks next year. And listen, he is going to probably play on a top line, or sorry, on a top six that features guys like Sam Bennett and Carter Verhage and Anthony DeClaire as well, right? So what do all three of those guys have in common? They were all players that are just breaking out in the last couple of seasons, right? Anthony DeClaire, when he got to Florida, starting to break out. Sam Bennett, he's a candidate that we've had in there. Carter Verhage, we saw what he did last year. So these are players that are just taking the next step. And Sam Reinhart, putting him into that team that with all these guys that have those playoff aspirations, I think definitely he has that opportunity to do that. Thank you for your interaction. The uh, Dunbar Lumber text line was buzzing today. And keep it coming tomorrow as well. For producer Art Factora, my co-host Raja Shergill, I'm Randeep Janda. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We're going to be joined by Eddie Lack on Taco Tuesday. Baseball Central is up next on Sportsnet 650.